0: everyone, it's Caitlin Luna, host of Speaking of Psychology. This episode was recorded during APA's Technology, Mind, and Society conference held in October 2019 in Washington, D.C. I was away on maternity leave during that time, so my colleague Kim Mills was a guest host. We hope you like this episode. Hello, and welcome to Speaking of Psychology, a biweekly podcast from the American Psychological Association that looks at the connections between psychological science and everyday life. I'm your host, Kim Mills, and I'm coming to you from APA's annual Technology, Mind, and Society Conference in Washington, D.C. That's a cross-disciplinary meeting that is examining psychology's role in advancing everything from virtual reality to artificial intelligence to the Internet of Things. Cameras are playing a greater and greater role in law enforcement, whether we're talking about cameras placed on dashboards and police cruisers or cameras that officers wear as part of their uniforms. But how effective are cameras in police encounters? What do they tell us about police-citizen interactions? And do cameras ever lie? Our guest today is Dr. Nick Camp, a postdoctoral researcher at Stanford University, where he received his PhD after completing his BA at Columbia University. His primary research focus examines racial disparities in the everyday encounters between police officers and citizens. To understand the causes and consequences of these inequities, he draws on a range of methods, from computational studies of officers' body-worn camera footage to experiments in community and lab settings to analyses of traffic stop data. Dr. Camp, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So let me start by asking you, how common are cameras in police work today? Is every police force in America using them or considering using them?
1: So a recent survey shows that almost every police department in the country is either deployed these cameras or... Uh, is planning to in the near future, and uh, you know this is a rare uh, reform that both police agencies and the public have been in favor of. So it's been a pretty rapid rollout of this technology.
0: So how are cameras changing police work? And on balance, would you say that change is more for the good?
1: So there's a few different ways uh, and a few different effects that people have looked at with these cameras. So the first early studies have just looked at does having these cameras make a difference in police community trust? And the results are mixed, but on the whole, simply having police officers recording these encounters uh, gives citizens a sense of security that police officers will be held uh, accountable for their actions. So uh, other research has looked at what we can actually see on these videos, and uh, the data is also kind of mixed. In many cases, the footage can be kind of ambiguous. Uh, So it's hard to tell. But my research looks at um, the language and what these cameras capture about everyday interactions. And I think this is really a new source of data for departments and can really be used to uh, measure police reform for good.
0: So how can the footage be ambiguous? I mean, uh, you know, a camera's a camera. It takes a picture of what's happening, right? I mean, how how could it be uh, open to interpretation?
1: That's right. Well, the hope was, you know, the camera doesn't lie, and simply putting a camera on every police officer would give us uh, an unbiased view of what's actually happening in these encounters. But unfortunately, the camera is positioned on the police officer about chest level. So uh, if you imagine uh, filming a movie with a camera at that level, you don't see a whole lot. And the fact that it's filmed from the police officer's perspective, uh, research by Broderick Turner and others has shown that this kind of leads people to empathize with the officer. So you're really getting literally one point of view in these interactions.
0: Has there been thought given to changing where the camera is worn, like soldiers wear cameras on their helmets now?
1: So there are a few, the technology is advancing quite rapidly. So uh, some police departments are trying to position cameras, in other uh, locations in the uniform. Uh, but the fact of the matter is at the end of the day, it's going to be on the police officer. And so some of these are just limitations of the, of the footage.
0: So your research has used body camera footage to look at racial disparities and how police officers communicate with citizens. What, what have you found?
1: So this was a project that started Originally, we were planning to look at the video from these interactions, and again, since the camera's at chest level, we didn't really see a whole lot of the community members that police officers were talking to. But I noticed as I was watching this footage that the words were coming in loud and clear. And so what we did was we looked at the words that officers were using in their conversations with black and white drivers that they stop. And we found using a range of different methods that police officers communicate more respectfully when they're talking to white drivers than when they're talking to African-Americans.
0: Do you know, has your research indicated, who's more heavily influenced by the body cameras, whether it's the police or the civilians?
1: That's a great question. One of our current projects is asking police officers and community members to look at the same interaction and see how their judgments about how respectful the officer's being or how combative the driver's being, how that might differ across perspectives. So that's a really great point, and it's something that we're looking into.
0: So we don't know yet whether civilians are also more respectful. I mean, do they always know that the cop is wearing a camera?
1: So that differs from, from agency to agency. Some agencies uh, make a point of having officers you know, mention that they have a camera in the recording. Uh, other agencies, the policy is just for the officer to turn on the camera before they make contact with the driver, so these are all great questions, and I think you know it's an empirical question as to whether announcing the camera uh, puts citizens at ease more than simply having it on.
0: What about individuals' right to privacy? I mean, do you have any right to privacy if a, a police officer is stopping you? Can you say, I want you to turn that camera off?
1: That's a great question, and I think uh, as these cameras and the footage they capture are being deployed, I think we're going to have more of these Kinds of questions as to who can access the footage and what circumstances. Uh, as of right now, it's uh, it's lawful for police officers to to make these recordings, and to my knowledge, I don't think you can um, ask that that encounter not be recorded. But for example, uh, there's ongoing debates about whether police officers should have access to that body camera footage. If so. Can they view it before or after they give a statement about an incident? Um, can the public view this? And really, this is a frontier, and uh, this is a place where psychologists can help inform these policies.
0: So there's no standard procedure at this point for how and where these videos are stored. You're saying that we we just don't know yet. It's still being shaken out.
1: That's right. Uh There's differences in agencies as to how long videos are stored for, because as you imagine, uh, it's very easy for police departments to accumulate tons and tons of videos, uh, what purposes they're being used for. So this is really a rapidly developing uh, field.
0: So what do we learn from, say, dash cameras that are different from what we might learn from a body camera? So
1: dash cameras are interesting because you can see both uh, actors on them. Uh, there's some new technologies that pair dash cameras with microphones or with body cameras so you can get different views on the same event. Um, one piece of research that's been really interesting, Yale Greno and colleagues have uh, looked at, used eye-tracking to look at how people, uh, when they view dashboard camera videos, how, where they're actually looking in the scene. And again, people's pre-existing beliefs and trust in the police can guide where they're actually watching. Uh, in these interactions. So again, it's another great opportunity and another rich source of data, but it's also something that we have to remember that individual minds are going to be viewing and interpreting.
0: So what's happening with body cameras and, and training in police forces right now? I mean, is that something that uh, is, is discussed? And when you know you're in the police academy, you're learning how to use a body cam and when to turn that on, when to turn on a dash cam I and mean, what's the training like right now
1: so first of all, police officers love body cameras. they have the belief that having these interactions recorded in case they get a complaint will uh, will protect them so it's in police officers' interest to properly use these cameras and record their their interactions. One thing that is kind of on the cutting edge, is using these recordings for training purposes. And this is something that my team and I are very interested in, not just for looking at specific acute instances, uh, such as the use of force cases, but looking at like police officers' communication. So one of the greatest pl- tools that a police officer has is their words. And if we can better train police officers in how to communicate with the public, it can prevent many of these interactions from escalating to the use of force.
0: And... It is pretty much acceptable among police officers. You said that they really like them, and you said that the public likes these cameras as well, but I know there's been a lot of controversy in, in certain cases. I mean, a lot of cases that make it into, into the media, and it turns out that there's some dispute over what really happened, and you talked about you know, the difference in angles. So Is it really all that popular, basically?
1: So the challenge is that many times when we're talking about body camera footage, It's in the context of particular incidents, trying to decide who's in the right, who's in the wrong, and specifically in very ambiguous incidents. And unfortunately, that ambiguous, those ambiguous circumstances are the cases where people's individual biases might shape how they interpret that footage. It's already can be a pretty fuzzy signal. So I think that's one reason why we see a lot of debate over the meaning of particular videos and what they capture and what they don't capture. But at the same time, one of the things I hope to show in my research is there are thousands of interactions between police officers and the public, and many of them are not ambiguous. And particularly the words that officers use, many are evidently respectful or disrespectful. So what I'm hoping is that in addition to using these videos as evidence in particular cases, we can use it as a source of data to look at policing as a whole.
0: Are you doing, or is anybody doing research into the the change in language that may be occurring as a result of using cameras?
1: So yeah, that's a very tricky question because uh, you know it always comes down to like what's the what's the baseline? Yeah, we can you compare it to, right? Not to mention that these cameras are proliferating so rapidly, it's hard to get uh, a control group. Um, so that is a challenging question and. I don't know if we're past the point where we're going to be able to answer what's the effect of having body cameras versus um, what can we learn from the footage that they're capturing.
0: So what else are you looking at now? Where's your research headed?
1: So there's a few different directions. Um, one very basic psychological question is, in addition to you know what's the information captured in these recordings, what can these recordings tell us about how people form or lose their trust in the police. So in some research, we've been looking at police officers' tone of voice. So we filter out the words from these recordings, and so you're left with something like a Charlie Brown, grown-up type of language, like womp 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 womp. and we're interested in how, one, this tone might differ when police officers are talking to white and black men, two, how people's pre-existing trust in the police shapes what they hear in that um, Charlie Brown signal. And then third, if you only expose people to police officers' interactions with white drivers or black drivers, how would that shape their perception of the police department? And what we're finding is, first, police officers use a more respectful tone when they're talking to white men. Second, that people's own individual trust in the police shapes how trustworthy they perceive that tone. And then third, that people who are exposed to police officer interactions with black men think that the police department is less trustworthy than those who listen to many interactions with white men. So that's kind of one additional way we can use this, to expose different people to the same exact interaction. Uh, In other research, we're looking at what's the relationship between uh, these acute instances of police violence and how those might color the everyday interactions between police officers and communities of color. So for me, what's really exciting is that having access to to body camera footage really opens up a whole new world of questions. And I think it'll really help us understand how this relationship can be built and how trust can be formed or eroded in these interactions.
0: Are you looking at differences with other demographic groups, for example, women or Latinos or people of ambiguous racial or ethnic backgrounds?
1: So absolutely. Um, in our initial study, we looked at just black and white drivers, single month. Uh, We did look at gender. Police officers generally use more respectful language with female drivers. But in uh, our next wave of research, we're really opening it up to look at um, a wider range of interactions. One of the challenges from our approach, since we focus so much on language, is when police officers are conversing with people who um, English is not their native language, that's a challenge we have to deal with. Um, especially since many police officers in the department we study uh, can speak Spanish. Um, but I think these are challenges that, you know, will advance our understanding. So initially we focused on one specific contrast, but hopefully we can learn more about policing across a range of identities.
0: What got you interested in this aspect of psychology? So my path
1: has been kind of a, a backwards one. Um, I didn't really think that much about race until I became a psychologist. And for me, one of the powerful messages of psychology is it can show you different ways of seeing and thinking about the world. And for someone who, before he took a psychology course, believed that people could just put their identities at the door and, you know, be a good student or be a good worker. It really took a, the research on stereotype threat and a lot of social psychology to, to show to me that that wasn't the case. And I think once I was disabused of that idea, I really became hungry for to learn more. So as f- in terms of when I became interested in policing specifically, a lot of my early work in grad school was looking at uh, face perception. And so I was spending hours and hours a day morphing faces, running these lab studies with faces, and Michael Brown was, uh, was shot, and I thought, okay, like, why am I doing this research. I think perception is incredibly important. And I think that can tell us a lot. But at the end of the day, what I really found interesting about that work was that it could speak to broader issues of, of racial inequality. And so I think that really pushed me to focus on not just these very basic research projects, but looking at how race uh, and racial inequality plays out in the real world.
0: Well, thank you. This is real, very interesting. I'd like to Keep tabs on what you're doing because I think it's important work and it's going to uh, help uh, reduce the inequities that we experience in our our country. Really appreciate you joining us today, Dr. Camp. Thank you for having me. So before we go, let me remind listeners that we want to hear from you. You can email your comments and ideas to speakingofpsychology at APA.org. And please consider rating us in iTunes. We'd, We'd appreciate that as well. Speaking of Psychology is part of the APA Podcast Network, which includes other informative podcasts such as APA Journals Dialogue about new psychological research and progress notes about the practice of psychology. You can find all our podcasts on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also go to our website, www.speakingofpsychology.org, and listen to more episodes. I'm Kim Mills with the American Psychological Association.